gonna hear, we're gonna die here, khalas. My kids for what? Why? Why will my kids have to suffer? Anyone? Why? Are you? <sighs> I didn't. I didn't mean to cry. Well, I just. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm just. I'm physically tired. I'm sick. And that you're sick. You're physically tired. You're in your dead. Everything you get yelled at. You have. You have nothing. No extent. Nothing. And then they tell you live on your own. Get your the best medicine is outside. I can't take it anymore. I can't. And then your kids are crying. <sighs> the real housewives of ISIS. Who are they? Look, she's upset. I get it. Obviously, under a lot of pressure, duress, fear. Uh, but the question becomes, you know, should they be treated any different than the terrorists that they pledge their allegiance to? And this is all part of our continued coverage of Stuart Bell's three-part series. This is a Global News exclusive, and it is a real blockbuster. It has exposed, exposed a lot that Canadians did not know, certainly about the aftermath of the Islamic State. And part of that aftermath is dealing with the women who decide to marry into terror. And a you know, we've, we know that there are a number of Canadian ISIS fighters right now in custody. They want to come home. I mean, despite their willingness to fight, their willingness to betray our country, and their hunger to help the enemy, they now want the government to help them come back. Not just them, though, because many of these jailed fighters now have wives and children who either were taken over there and then had children over there, but those people are also stuck in camps, those children are still stuck there in camp. So they want to come home too. And there are reportedly 500 foreign women affiliated with ISIS in those camps. But what do you do with them? Are they looked at as traitors? Are they victims? Or are they willing participants who are manipulating the system? Let's bring in Tom Quiggin on this. We talk about a lot of terror issues with him. He's a former military intelligence officer. RCMP, uh, RCMP advisor and a court-appointed expert on jihadist terrorism in both the federal and criminal courts here in Canada. Hey, Tom. Good evening. Thanks for inviting me to Global News Radio. There you go. Well, how do you view the women who go to stand by their men who fight for ISIS? Well, it's difficult to say, but look, up front, let's just say a couple of things. First off, having a passport and the right of return to Canada is a privilege not a right. Just because you were a citizen at one point doesn't mean you're absolutely entitled uh, to a passport and the right of return to Canada. Well, uh, well so the, we the, the Prime Minister would disagree with you, sir. Uh, well, he would, but yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm actually referring to the law, not what uh, our pro-ISIS Prime Minister thinks. So that's, that's another whole story. But anyway, um, and then the other side of this is to say, look, uh, one of the women that was interviewed is alleged to be 26 years old now, which means she would have been 22 years old when she went over there or thereabouts. So she was an age of understanding. She knew what she was doing. These people understood what ISIS was about when they went over there. They were burning people alive in cages. They were uh, chopping the heads off journalists. They were slitting the throats of people in large numbers on the beach. They were committing actual acts of genocide. And I don't mean that in the 
pejorative sense of the term, I mean in the legal sense of the term, that this was quite literally one of the worst states, countries, or organizations, whatever you want to call it, on the face of the planet. And anyone who says, you know, oh, when I came over here, I didn't know it was bad, and I thought we were just going to have a nice little caliphate with Sharia law, I mean, they're lying through their teeth. The other problem I've got with these folks is why do they suddenly want to return to Canada now? And the answer is, oh, yeah. ISIS was defeated on the battlefield. So while ISIS was winning, while they controlled territory, where everything was good, we didn't hear their plaintive cries to come home then. It's only now that they're in trouble. So at the end of the day, I mean, legally, we have no obligation to go out of our way to help them to come back. Uh, we have no legal obligation to give them passports. And quite frankly, my feeling is if you want to leave Canada and go overseas and join ISIS or whoever, um, I say, fine, go do it. But it is not the responsibility of the taxpayers of Canada to then bail you out after you've helped an organization commit terrorism and acts of genocide, etc. So, yeah, uh, my feeling is, you know, you made your bed. Uh, you're an age of understanding when you did it. So it's pretty much your problem. Yeah, the problem is, you know, they don't have the comforts of a bed over in a place like that. And so they realize that after the fact, and then they do want to come home. But there will be a lot of people, Tom, that look at these women and say, look, they are abused. They are victims of crime. They are manipulated into this. I mean, you take the case looking at Josh Boyle, um, you know, going hiking over in Afghanistan, whether or not she knew about it or going into that area of the world. Is there a naivete with these women or do you truly believe that it's a manipulation that they know what they're doing? Oh, no, I mean, <laughs> think back to what we saw about ISIS when it first started. I mean, they took over half of northern Iraq. They took over a large part of Syria and they were committing massacres in the most horrible and imaginative ways possible. So for these people to say, you know, oh, I was somehow manipulated to go in there. I thought it was something else. I mean, if they were 12 or 13 years old at the time, then you might be able to say, okay, they're not really capable of understanding. They got drawn in by some guy on the internet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But these are women who were like 19, 20, 21 uh, years old when they went over. They were at an age of understanding. So, you know, it kind of gets back to that, that mm -hmm. you chose to enter that lifestyle. This is like marrying a mobster or marrying some guy who's in a outlaw biker gang. Uh, if you want to do that, again, it's up to you. Go ahead. But when it all goes terribly wrong, I'm not quite sure why it's the government of Canada's responsibility to bail you out. In other words, actions have consequences. Uh, so, I mean, also, we have this Muhammad Ali guy saying, well, you know, I've learned my lesson. I just want to come back to Canada and lead my life. Well, you know, I'd say, like, what lesson did you learn? Genocide doesn't work. Terrorism was a failure. Um, you were involved in an organization that was killing thousands of people. You don't get to just come back to Canada and lead your life because you learned your lesson. I mean, if you and I took a car out and went down the Don Valley Parkway and smashed into a bunch of people because we were drunk, we can't stand up the next day and go, well, you know, I think I learned my lesson about drinking and driving. I promise not to do it anymore. Just leave me alone and let me lead my life. I mean, no, this is real life. This is real stuff, folks. What would there... Uh, Sorry, let me just, what would their treatment have been um, like within ISIS? Would these women have been, I mean, they would have probably been promised a lot more than they clearly got delivered. Probably. I mean, and it varies widely case by case. There were, and this is the other thing would need to be looked at very hard, there were gangs of women over there who were functioning as police forces whose job it was to go around and beat up on other women who weren't wearing their hijab correctly or weren't praying at the right time and this sort of stuff. 
So while women like to portray themselves as victims in these kinds of situations, it's been clearly overlooked in most of the press coverage that in many cases they were the worst of the worst of the oppressors. Um, So this idea, I mean, we saw the same thing in Bosnia and Croatia, that women typically in a warfare scenario are the victims. I mean, that much is true. But in many cases, they can be perpetrators as well. And in the case of ISIS, it happened that large numbers of women, more than you would typically see in a war scenario, were in fact the oppressors themselves. Uh, so that would be another thing to have to be looked at is, you know, they claim innocence and say, well, we didn't know anything was going on. It's like, well, sorry. I mean, I just don't believe that. There there are victims here, though, and that's the kids. They don't ask to be born into this. And the conditions, of, I mean, they're in Kurdish uh, officials' uh, custody. Uh, what kind of treatment would the kids be getting? Honestly, I can't imagine having kids in that kind of area, but what, are they, what would they be going through? Well, here's the thing. Refugee camps around the world right now are filled with children mm. everywhere, Africa, South Asia, uh, Iraq, you name it. This is going on everywhere. So the sort of argument, oh, you know, we have to bring the children back. And it's like my argument would be there's children around the world Uh, and parents around the world who are legitimate refugees who have suffered because of no offense of their own. And if we're going to, you know, say we should bring more children back to Canada, well, let's bring the children over here who are actually deserving of care, whose parents are deserving of care. Uh, And I don't see why we necessarily would jump these people to the top of the list. Why should they go to the top of the list when there are people out there who didn't commit genocide, who didn't commit war crimes, who didn't commit mass rape, uh, but yet now somehow they feel they should be able to jump the queue and go to the front of the line because they were on the losing side of a war. (laughs) To me, it just doesn't make sense, given that there are so many other legitimate refugees around the world. Uh, Public Safety Minister Ralph Goodale, um, having a tough couple of weeks, i got to be honest, uh, certainly having to answer questions, because if it weren't for Stuart Bell probably going over, we wouldn't be talking about these headlines. But he has to deal with this, and he's not saying much. What would be going on uh, behind the scenes now that this is out um, and fully knowing that the Kurdish government is, or Kurd, the officials that have these people in custody, want them gone. Well, the Kurds clearly want to get all these folks gone. I mean, the Kurds in northern Iraq and Iran and Turkey have enough of their own problems without having to deal with, you know, foreign fighters left over. Uh, but again, the reality is here in Canada, I mean, the Kur- Kur- so-called Kurdish government isn't actually really a government at mm-hmm. all. Yep. Uh and we don't have to accommodate their needs and wishes. What is interesting in all of this, and I find this fascinating, is according to the refugees in these camps, and of course their stories are subject to a bit of interpretation, but they did say several months ago Canadian officials did show up and did talk to them about passport papers and filling out forms and whatever, and then they said nothing happened after that. So it is possible that behind the scenes, Trudeau, Goodale, etc., are starting to realize that Canadians aren't quite as pro-ISIS and perhaps as sympathetic to ISIS as they seem to think we should be. Yeah. Uh, so perhaps the government's actually going in a bit of a stall here. But Do you I give any, I've only got about 30 seconds, Tom, do you give any, any credence to the report in The Guardian that the feds are set to take back these, uh, these 11 Canadians? Because that is what they're reporting. I, this is the first I've heard of it, so I don't yeah, know if there's I any mean, truth to it. I saw that as well. I have no idea whether the truth behind it. But given Mr. Trudeau's position in the past that if you are opposed to the return of ISIS fighters to Canada, it's because you're Islamophobic. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen Trudeau even vaguely signal 
that he's changed his attitude on that one. I mean, he still calls these people foreign travelers uh, when everybody else calls them terrorists. Yeah. Uh, well, Ralph Goodale still calling uh, McClintock somebody who's guilty of bad practices yeah. when, in fact, she raped an eight-year-old girl and beat her head in with a hammer. Yeah. And uh, Gerard Butts is calling us Nazis because we oppose the principles and policies of uh, Prime Minister Trudeau. So I haven't seen a change in rhetoric yet from any of those folk. Uh, so, yeah, I would assume, based on previous performance, the government probably will go ahead and do it, even if there's some hesitation on the part of the intelligence and police agencies. Coming soon to a neighborhood near you. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks, Alex. That's Tom Quiggin uh, joining us tonight, so we'll continue following that and see if there's any truth to this new report coming out of The Guardian tonight. To your On Point, I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio.